Well, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1 as we're continuing our series on real faith according to the epistle of James. And we're still in chapter 1. It's a profound book that has so much to tell us. It's such a short book, but so, so full of wisdom that is so pertinent and relevant for us today. Today we'll be looking at verses 12 through 18, so keep your Bibles open there. Now, when we started this series on real faith in the epistle of James, we looked very briefly at the life of James. We know that he was the half-brother of Jesus, who at first didn't believe that his brother was the Savior, the Messiah, who would save their people, his people from their sins and give to them the gift of eternal life. But there was a complete turnaround when he believed, and he lived an exemplary life, even to his death. So much so that many people through the ages have struggled with James' writings because he comes across as legalistic. But the reality is he wasn't legalistic at all. He understood what it was to live out his faith under trials and under circumstances and not live according to his flesh. And so James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, we know that, and he, and he did so when the church was facing its most difficult time. We know that Christians were severely persecuted, and yet James endured faithfully, never shying away from his association or faith in Jesus Christ, even when the pressure came upon him. We know that he was hated because of his faith, and yet he was known, in spite of that, for his love and compassion, not only towards believer, but even towards the unbeliever alike. We know that he was accused for dividing his Jewish community because of his faith. But history actually reveals that he was a master bridge builder and peacemaker with a good reputation in his community. But regardless of how he was viewed or how he was treated, he remained faithful in spite of his trials to the day that he was martyred. And perhaps... You've wondered, how did James do this? How did he remain so unmoved in his faith? And how did he continue to respond in such Christ-likeness in every situation when the trials that he faced were so intense? Well, the good news is he tells us. In order to faithfully endure trials and temptations, we need a proper understanding of our condition and the character of God. And so today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And I want to give you, I want to show you three keys that will enable us or empower us to endure in any trial under any circumstance. And so the three keys that I'm going to show you are, first of all, that we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Secondly, we need to know our condition. And thirdly, we need to know God. 
And so delving firstly into point number one, keeping your eyes on the prize, the first key, I want now to read beginning at verse 12. And here's what we read. James writes and he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, I want to make sure from the very onset here that we understand that this passage is written towards those who are followers of Christ, those who believe in him and have faith in Christ. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you, if you do not have faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, I would invite you to come to know him through his word so that you too might come to faith and be saved and know the power of God that is effective for here now. Now, for those who are in Christ, one of the keys to remaining steadfast under trial is to keep your eyes on the prize. Now, we're talking about trials. We're talking about circumstances that come upon us that we don't have any control over. And in the context in which James was writing, we know that this was severe Christian persecution as well as facing a famine that had come upon their region. But James had previously assured us that when he's writing this, he's not just writing to one or two particular scenarios. But in his situation, we know it was persecution and famine. But he earlier informed us that it applies right across the board when he said, consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, all kinds of different trials. And so we understand that this must be applied to anything that comes upon us that's going to challenge our faith in Christ. And that can be anything from losing a job. It can be, yes, even lockdowns, shutdowns, or stay-at-home orders. It can be how to respond in a case where you have an unfaithful spouse or the death of a loved one or a prodigal child or when you face rejection or isolation or when your character is being attacked or loneliness. And the list just goes on. And that's what James means by various trials. This doesn't apply just to one or two trials, but to a whole vast variety of situations. And James says that the person who remains steadfast, meaning that they remain immovable, unwavering, and unchanged in their faith throughout the duration of those trials that come upon them, such a person is blessed. And that simply doesn't mean that they have God's Unmerited favor upon them does include that, but particularly the meaning here is that they will experience an inner joy. They're going to experience a satisfaction and a peace in their soul. And yes, it can even be and will be at times accompanied with outward happiness once they've stood unmoved in their faith under trials. And why? Why will they experience that? Because when you look at the second half of verse 12, for when he has stood the test, 
he would receive the crown of life, which God had promised or has promised to those who love him. You see, the motivation or the key that bolsters a person's endurance is that which God has promised to those who love him. And it's the crown of life. Now, don't think of this in the terms of a king or queen's crown. He's using the, the example of an athlete that's won an athletic event who would then have this wreath placed upon their head. You see, this, this wreath or this crown symbolized victory through perseverance, overcoming all obstacles and odds. That's the picture that he's drawing for us here. You're running the race of life and you're experiencing all kinds of trials that come along as obstacles. You're experiencing all manner of hardships and difficulties, but you keep pressing on and you're not allowing these issues to keep you from finishing the race well, standing strong in your faith because of the crown that has been promised by finishing the race. The challenge is enduring, but you are unwavering and you are faithful to God regardless of the trials that you're experiencing. And when you have passed through that, God gives the crown of life, the crown of life that he's referring to is the gift of eternal life. So you see, endurance comes by keeping your eye on the prize that God has promised to everyone who finishes the race well. And so that means that we cannot allow ourselves to be overcome and swept away by the varying circumstances that come upon us. Can I ask you this morning, how are you doing? How are you faring in your race? What is it that you are focused on? Are you focused on anything other than what God has promised to those who stand unwavering at the end? Have you taken your eyes off of Christ and his promises? Can I just encourage you this morning? Get your eyes up off of the circumstances that we're facing or that you're going through and get them up on Christ and his promises. One of the keys by which James endured the severe trials that he faced and the people in his day was by keeping his eye on the prize, keeping his eyes on the promises of God, the gift of eternal life. Now, the second key in remaining steadfast under trial is to know your condition. Mark this. You need to know your condition from the biblical godly perspective. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives 
birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, it's interesting here. There is a very definite shift in what James is talking about here. In the previous verses, he's been talking about trials or the testings that, got, that come upon us. But now he's changing gears, he's changing focus, and he's talking not about trials, but now he's talking about temptations. And these are uniquely different. So why does he now shift gears towards temptation instead of trials? Well, first, let me identify what temptation is. The whitewashed definition of a temptation would be to give in to a felt desire. That's, that's the nice way of saying it. But the truer definition means to be inwardly enticed to do evil or to do that which is contrary to the character and the nature of God. So why does James now bring temptation into the picture when up to this point he's been focused totally on trials? Because here's the thing. When we begin to experience increased pressures because of our trials, we may also be tempted to respond and to act out in a way that is contrary to Christ, contrary to the character and the nature of God, and therefore contrary to the Christian himself. See, when we feel the pressure of our trials in our lives, Sometimes we feel that giving into our temptations will give us something that we're not getting from God. It may feel justified by giving into this temptation. It may promise a moment or promise you peace and the release of pressure. But what's more, we may also be tempted to lay the blame for giving into our temptation on God himself. Or even the temptation, being tempted, why are you tempting me, God? So James makes it clear. If you want to remain standing under trials, you need to know your condition. And he begins by saying, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. And here's why. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God cannot be tempted to do evil towards anyone is the idea that he's presenting here. Because he is distinct and uniquely separate from evil. There is no element or degree of evil within God. And so he can't even be tempted to do evil towards anyone because it's not within his character and being to do so. Therefore, God does no wrong to anyone, nor does he tempt people to sin. It's true, yes, 
Scriptures are clear that God may bring trials upon us. God may bring testing upon us to test the genuineness of our faith or to strengthen our faith. But he tempts no one. So then the question is, well, then where do temptations come from? Verse 14. But each person is tempted, listen, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You and I are tempted and lured and enticed by the evil desires that reside within us. Sin, which is evil, resides in each and every one of us. Even as Christians in this unredeemed body, in this flesh, sin still reigns. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, 18 and 19, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. He's talking about his body and his makeup. He said, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Even Paul recognizes the struggle. When we face temptations, it's not because of the evil desires that exist out in the world. It's because of the evil that exists within each and every one of us. The problem lies within us. And we need to understand this. When we're tempted, we're tempted by our own evil passions that reside within us. I remember when our kids were growing up, or, or I could even go back further, when I was growing up, if I ever got in trouble for doing something, my mom or my dad would ask me, Jake, why'd you do this? And the blame was always someone else's fault. He made me do it. She made me do it. The reality was that it was evil within me. It was what I was experiencing on the inside and the passions of my flesh. But now, here's something else we need to recognize that James tells us about here. There's an ongoing effect when we continue to give into temptations. See, oftentimes we have this belief that giving into a temptation has just a momentary effect. Once it's done, once I've given in, it lasts for a moment, and then it's done and gone. No lingering effects. But that is not what James tells us here. He tells us there's an ongoing effect. And it doesn't cease the moment I've satisfied the lust of my passions. Verse 15, he goes on. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, we may think that sin has no effect upon anyone else or even myself because it's just here momentary, but that's not the case. There's an ongoing effect when we give in to our temptations. 
Here's what we need to know about our sinful desires that each one of us has within us. Our temptations promise to make us feel good. Those temptations promise to alleviate pressure. Those temptations promise satisfaction. But you know what? It's all a lie. It's all a lie. It promises to give you what you need so that you can move on in a better way. But the reality is it only leads to death. So let's not be deceived. Yes, a Christian certainly is saved from spiritual and eternal death through Jesus Christ. And we thank God for that. What a glorious gospel. But for a believer to continually give in to sin, the Bible actually reveals can lead to death. Physical death. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that many of them were sick and weak and had fallen asleep, meaning that they had died because they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. We see what happened to some of the people in the book of Acts when they lied and death was sudden. Sadly, you and I give in to our temptations far too easily. And what's more, we often justify giving in to our temptations by blaming others as the cause for our actions. It was quite convicting putting this sermon together, just reflecting back on my own life to see the different ways and times that I've done this myself. So you see, the greatest battle we face is not the outward circumstances that come upon us. The greatest battle you and I face is within us. When we're tempted to respond to our circumstances according to the evil desires within us. James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Say, don't buy the lie. Nothing good comes out of your temptation and God does not tempt you. And giving into our temptation isn't a momentary thing and then it's gone. It leads to death. Sin is a serious matter. And the reason that James brings up our sinful condition is so that becoming aware of this, we won't give in to our temptations. In fact, Paul, writing to the Galatian church in chapter 524, says, And those who belong to Christ, listen, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Do you understand what that means? It means that by faith, having been joined to Christ, we consider ourselves dead to the passions and evil desires when they, when they begin to bubble up within us and if that feeling comes upon us that it would feel good and right to give in, it's not. That it's not good and it's not right. And furthermore, we need to reckon ourselves therefore dead indeed unto sin. Dead to that. We've crucified that. As followers of Christ who have been joined to him, we have crucified the flesh. Therefore, we must not give in to those desires when they begin to percolate within us. And you know, there's 
No time like when we face hard trials to really find out how we handle temptation. And that's why James brings this all together here. Because they're, although uniquely different, there is a connection between these two. I had to stop this week and ask myself how I was doing with this. And can I ask you, how are you doing with this? When you feel the weight and the pressure of everything that's going on uh, in, in our society, and then add to that what you're experiencing in your own personal lives, the pressures of that, how are you doing when it comes to your flesh? When it comes to the temptations that rise up and you want to respond and you want to react, how are you doing with that? If we're to faithfully doer when tempted and tried, remember, we need to first keep our eyes on the prize. Remember what God has promised to those who remain faithful. And secondly, we need to know our condition so that knowing ourselves, we can be warned against ourselves, be strengthened not to give in to the temptations that rise up within us. But there's another reason that James writes and tells his brothers not to be deceived. Because you see, it's easy to start blaming God for being less than good towards us when we experience hardships, isn't it? And it begins rather quite innocently when we begin asking, why would God allow this? Why would God permit me to go through this? But if we're not careful, it continues to build on that. And we can come to the place where we find ourselves angry at God, embittered and frustrated with God, and we can start blaming God for what's happening and what we're experiencing in our lives and even how we're responding to it. It's his fault. So the third key to enduring is to know God. Let's look at verses 16 through 18, or is it starting at verse 17? Is it 16? No, 17, right. <laughs> every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Mark that. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So again, oftentimes when we face hard times, we may begin to consider the illusion that God is not good by letting me go through this and experiencing this. Or even that what we're going through is not good. But it's when we go through hard times that more than ever, we need to know God. And I don't mean just on a, on a, on a basic level. 
We need to understand who God is. We need to know his character. We need to know who he is, his nature. Christian, James reminds us here that every good thing that you have comes from God. Every good thing. God gives only good things. The world actually has nothing to offer. Anything that is good comes as a gift to you from God the Father. And then he tells us more. James goes on and tells us more about God by referring to God as the Father of lights. And so this gets a little confusing, I, I must admit. And the idea is that he is the sovereign creator of light. And whereas the light that he has created is good and allows us to see, it cannot be compared to the light of his glory and of his goodness, which will never fade, never diminish in any way. Do we recognize about that about God? That the glory of his goodness will never fade. He will never become less good than what he is. He is perfect in his goodness. Furthermore, he goes on and he says, with whom, speaking of God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. And although we find this somewhat difficult to understand, what he's talking about here, the meaning is that God is unchanging. God never changes. He will forever be exactly who he is and who he has always been, and that is a perfect and good God. In fact, in Malachi 3, verse 6, we, we read, the Lord declares, I, the Lord, do not change. That's fantastic. That is good news for us. This means that we can then completely trust him and depend him upon him in every situation that comes upon us. Knowing that no matter what he allows to come upon us, he is good. And that anything we have that he has given is good. In verse 18, he continues on and he says, of his own will, this is God's will, listen to this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is powerful statement right here. Oh, and I hope that this would really resonate deeply within us. See, James is telling the believers of the early church that it was God's will and desire that by the power of his word, by the power of his will, he chose to save them. It was God's idea. It was God's will. It was his doing. And he did it so that they should be kind of first fruits of his creation. You see, in the Old Testament, the first crops of the harvest were always given to God as an offering of thanksgiving. And James is telling the believers of his day that they kind of served as those first crops, that first harvest to come in. 
that they were dedicated to God as an offering and a sacrifice. And what he's getting at here when he refers to them as first fruits is he's suggesting that there will be a long harvest of souls that will come in and be saved. So James has this unique way of speaking and illustrating to bring out these truths. They would have understood it because from their background, understanding the Old Testament laws and, and all, the, all the rituals they, they would perform, this was a fulfillment going, yeah, you are. You are kind of like the first fruits of a long harvest of souls that's going to come in. So we see that God is only good to us in all things. Can you embrace that? Maybe right now you might have a lot of yeah, but questions. You know what? I can't answer them all. In fact, most of them I can't answer. I don't know. But by faith... One of the keys to enduring is knowing and understanding that God is good in all things. Do you recognize God's goodness even with everything that you're experiencing today? Do you recognize that everything God gives you and me is good? Do you recognize that everything he allows us to go through is for our own good? If you ever want to doubt the goodness of God, remember his ultimate demonstration of his character, of his goodness when he gave us his own son, sent him on earth to die in our place to cover our sins, who suffered God's holy, righteous wrath so that he would absorb it on our behalf. Do you see the goodness of God? Who died that the chains of sin and death would be broken so that you and I could be set free. Who died so that being joined to him in his death, burial, and resurrection, we might be raised together with him, that we might receive the crown of life, the gift of eternal life. That's the goodness of God. And from a human perspective, Sending Jesus to do all that without knowing and understanding the end result makes no sense and only looks evil and looks abusive, but it is the goodness of God in its full display. Paul speaks of God in Romans 8.32 stating, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Look at the goodness of God in that. Allow me to add a word to this verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? Because that's all God gives is good. Oh, beloved, 
how good God is. Do you ever take the time just to marvel at God's goodness? Maybe that's a practice we should implement in this season right now. Just marvel at the goodness of God. Focus on that in this season. And to soak in the reality that anything that God gives the believer and allows them to go through is only good and good for us. God is good, and he's good all the time. And all he gives us is good, and everything he allows us to go through is good. And if we want to endure under trials, we need to know God intimately. Brothers and sisters, when we wrap up this passage, if we want to endure faithfully under trials and temptations, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. We need to know the promises of God. He has promised the gift of eternal life to those who persevere. We need to know and we need to understand our condition so that we won't be deceived by our own temptations. And above all, we need to know God. So it's important to know his word through which we come to know who he is. And this is why we try so hard to build up and make much of our kids' ministry here at RBC so that here at the church, your kids will know who God is. This is why we're working towards and investing much into our youth ministry because we want your young people to know about the goodness of God and who he is. And that's why we encourage everyone that attends here to join and be committed and actively participate in a small group where you have the best opportunity to grow in the promises of God, to know who you are apart from God, and to know who God is so that you might be able to stand. I pray that these three keys will help us to faithfully endure in the season that we're going through. Pray with me. Lord, this morning, as we've looked into your word again, I pray for those that are watching online, Lord, which is the majority of people. I pray, Father, that we would not be overcome by the temptations of our flesh to be angry and bitter, resentful and frustrated and discouraged, but that we would stop and that we would pause and we would set our eyes on Christ. That we would look to him who is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. I pray we would glory in your goodness. I pray in the season that we would keep our eyes on the promises that you have made to give eternal life to those of us who continue to stand steadfast under trial. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to understand who we are apart from you and the fleshly sinful desires that still remain within us so that we would not give in to those but consider ourselves to have died to that, that we have crucified the flesh 
And what's more, Lord, I pray that we would focus on you, that we would turn to your word and that we would learn about you, that we would know you intimately, Lord, that we would know you well so that we would see that you are worthy, Lord, that everything you have allowed to come upon us is good and everything you're allowing us to go through is for our good. And we would recognize that you are nothing but good in all your ways. So, Lord, soften our hearts. Draw our eyes towards you so that in all things we would learn to rejoice even in the midst of suffering of the goodness of God. So, Lord, you are the one who brings life out of death. You bring joy out of suffering, Lord. And even in this season, Lord, when we're facing these trials and these difficulties, you bring strength out of weakness. May it be evident within us as your children. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.